wait. Maybe not. Maybe it's, yeah? Yes, I did turn it on. That's good. Uh, we really hope you guys join us on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday's Day. It's, it's really, it'll be maybe one of the most memorable Valentine's Days that you'll ever have. Um, we're really, no, actually we are very much looking forward to, to celebrating the Lenten season with you all. Uh, good morning. My name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty. And uh, this morning, I'd ask if you, if you have your Bibles to turn with me to James. We're going to be in James chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, somewhere in front of you should be a black hardback Bible. We invite you to, to take that um, and turn to page uh, 1012. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take that and, uh, and read that, use that. Uh, as you turn there, I would, I would have us consider this morning wisdom, the idea of wisdom. Consider that wisely, by the way. Uh, wisdom, guys, is, is, is all around us um, in many forms and fashions. Wisdom is the outworking of knowledge through either experience or education. And the Bible tells us in multiple places to pursue wisdom, to get wisdom. And many people, luckily, I guess for us, are doing that. Uh, The Bureau of Labor Statistics says that 69.7% of high school graduates enrolled in college. And of that 69%, 59% of those will actually graduate within six to seven eight years, as, uh, as time goes on, the longer it takes to get a four-year degree. We've also seen since 2009 um, that, uh, that those, those students are pursuing wisdom, but we've also seen a growing trend in eating Tide Pods. So I'll let you be the judge on whether that knowledge turns into wisdom or not. Uh, we are a knowledge-seeking society. And this has really kind of come to, to come to a head, I would say, in, in the last 15 years with the, the growth of the internet and, and media becoming a very important part of our culture. Our consumption of information is at an all-time high. The study done at Cal San Diego says the average person today is exposed to 34 gigabytes of data each day. That's a lot, by the way. In a week's time, you'll fill up your iPhone. Uh, another study down in, done in 2016 found that Americans, on average, spend 601.5 minutes a day consuming media. Quick math, I'll tell you that's about 10 hours worth a day. That's a lot of information. But what about wisdom? Yes, that's knowledge, that's exposure to information, but what about wisdom? There's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. There's a, it's an old American proverb that says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. All wisdom, though, comes from God. It's a common grace thing that, supp- that, that is supplied to, to God's creation. But even after all the consumption of information and knowledge... Um, Does it lead to true wisdom? Wisdom that God uh, makes much of. The wisdom that God talks about us getting and pursuing. Let's look at what James says here. 
in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Look upon us, O Lord, and let all the darkness of our souls vanish before the beams of your light. Fill us with holy love and open us up to the treasures of your wisdom. All of our desire is known unto you, and therefore perfect what you have begun, what your Spirit has awakened us to. Ask in prayer. We seek after your face. Turn your face unto us and show us your glory. Then shall our longing be satisfied and our peace shall be perfect. Amen. This morning, as we consider wisdom, we're going to look at three things that I believe James points out here in, in this passage. We're going to look at the duality of wisdom, we're going to look at the corruption of wisdom, and we're going to look at the redemption of godly wisdom. So firstly, let's look at the duality of wisdom. The, the idea that there is a duality is, is kind of a common theme amongst James. Uh, we see back in chapter 2, where he shows us the duality of faith, that faith without works is dead. We also saw last week how James said that, that there's a duality with the tongue. In the same way here, he is going to show us that there is a duality inside of wisdom. James does this so, so we wouldn't be fooled. We wouldn't be easily fooled into thinking that something that looks good, sounds good, and says that it's good, that we just go, go ahead and blindly accept that it is good. The warning here from James is just as, as though like a duck, just because it looks like a duck. It may be actually a wolf in duck's clothing. Pay attention to the outworkings of the duck. Does it, does it quack like a duck? Does it swim? Is it waterproof in some regards? Can the, you know, is it a duck? I mentioned a moment ago that all wisdom does come from God. So how can it be that not all wisdom is godly wisdom? Where is the duality in this? First, human wisdom is only possible because divine wisdom is present in the creation. uh, Well, the the creation. Uh, God created all things. Therefore, there is wisdom in it. Proverbs 2.6 says, Just as all things proceed from God, how how we use them may change their value. We can take good gifts, corrupt them, and use them for, for evil purposes. For instance, we can take relationships, thinking that the purpose of that relationship is merely for our benefit, 
we can corrupt that relationship. We can ruin the good gift that God has given us. We can take also the good gifts and not use them at all. Kind of like food. If you do not consume the food and the food sits there, it will become rotten. Or we can take the good gift of the church community, only show up on Sunday mornings and not pursue and receive relationships and therefore not experience the joy of goodness and the deep, meaningful relationships that God has gifted us with. In the same way, we can take wisdom, we can corrupt it, and use it for selfish intent. So James asks here in verse 13, who is wise? Who thinks himself to to have great wisdom? Will the real wise person please step forward? This is quite a thing to ask, I believe, in James's context. You know, the majority of the population um, of, of the church at this point was, was a Jewish contingent, if you will, a, a Jewish con- converts. Uh, James being the, the head of the church in Jerusalem, it is, it is only fair to assume that the people that he's interacting with, the people that, he is, that he's talking to, are, are pretty wise people. Some of them having the, the entire law memorized, the Torah, Some of them maybe even being teachers themselves of the law. Maybe former rabbis, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees. We don't don't know, but there's a good chance because the epicenter of all Jewish culture was there in Jerusalem. And that's where James was. And so, for James to make this statement, he's not saying this flippantly, but he is saying this because there is a lot of wisdom around him. And he's asking them, as he asks us, who is wise among you? The commentator, Douglas Moo, who has written two commentaries on James, says this. He says, clearly James considers wisdom a virtue available to all. He says this in, in um, chapter 1, verse 5, and even also in 3.1. He's not really directed to, this, this statement's not really directed to teachers, but those who would become teachers. Therefore, James's exhortation is better taken as directed generally to all believers, but especially to those who would pride themselves on their superior understanding. So, if you immediately wrote yourself off this morning and saying, well, I'm not a teacher, uh, I won't consider myself wise, please come back, come back. This is also for you as well. And then he goes on to say this, that there is a measuring stick. James says that who considers themselves wise among you, and then he gives us this measuring stick of, of what true wisdom is. He says this, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is the the way in which James is qualifying the wise. James asks people um, who think that they have a special understanding and insight in spiritual matters in effect to step forward that he can analyze the legitimacy of their claims. And so, in so doing, he's giving us a personal diagnostic tool to analyze our own claims here, our own claim to wisdom. Good conduct, James insists, is the basis on which one can demonstrate wisdom. This phrase or similar ones occur several times in the letters um, here in, in James, but also in Peter, in a general way, to denote that the lifestyle that pleases God 
as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. This, this idea of living a good life, to, of having good works, is directly related to wise living. The let him show statement here in this passage challenges and reminds us of James's challenge in 2.18 to the believer who, th- who thinks works and faith can be separated. James says this, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In the same way here, James is almost saying, Show me your wisdom apart from your meekness, and I'll show you my wisdom in my meekness. Which may not be the meekest way of saying that statement. But... The truth claim here is, is, is not to be argued with. That, that you cannot separate the meekness from godly wisdom. This section of James 3 is also a transitional statement where James is building off of his point about the tongue, which is just a further point into faith and works portion, and moving to the outflow of the tongue into arrogance, and finally in what, to lead, what leads to worldliness, which we will get to next week. The power of the tongue, the impact of the tongue here, uh, that, can have, that it has with those within earshot. What is, the, what is the impact of our words to those around us? One of the direct correlations with the tongue comes from those who think themselves to be wise. This tells us and leads us to the knowledge that true wisdom from God leads to meekness. Or, as the Greek kind of elaborates, the gentleness, the humility, the courtesy, the considerateness of wisdom. True godly wisdom does not flaunt itself around. It is not loud or verbose. Godly wisdom is meek. It is humble. It is gentle. It is courteous and considerate. It is a reflection of Christ who with all power humbled himself and became his creation for the good of his creation to save and redeem that which was lost. This is what wisdom does. Godly wisdom humbly comes, interjects itself into a situation for the good of its hearers. It redeems bad and turns it good. Therefore, James is clearly communicating two things here. True wisdom, one, produces good works, and two, true wisdom produces humility. But what happens when those things are not present? We get to our our second point here, the corruption of wisdom. The corruption of wisdom. Verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James goes from the outworking of the heart for wisdom back to the internal. He goes back to the inside. The motivation of earthly wisdom comes from the heart, namely bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Both of these things could be considered complete opposites of humility. And it echoes really of, of Romans one twenty two, where it says this, For claiming to be wise, they became fools. The claim to be wise, but their actions proved otherwise. And even further, their hearts proved otherwise. Both of these, of these actions, both of these adjectives are self-serving. 
They think of themselves before others. Just think of the think of bitterness, think of selfishness. They are, these are self-serving words. And, and what James is doing here is he's exposing the humanity and the selfish motivations that exist in our own hearts. How do I know if I have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? I think one of the things that, that, that comes to mind is, is what C.S. Lewis said. And there's, a, there's a famous quote by Lewis. He says this. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. When we, when we promote ourselves, when we think of ourselves first, this is the, the selfishness, the bitterness, the, the, the jealousy that comes from, from a place where, where God is not elevated to his rightful place in our lives. True humility is not thinking of less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are both self-serving traits that really help to expose the motivations of our heart. They can come into play every day in our relationships, in business, in sports, in school, in family. As Steve said earlier, um, when you have little kids... It exposes a lot, and you see, you see some interesting things. I think when you have little kids, it exposes your selfishness. Um, that's one of the things that, that I've really learned, is how selfish I really am when I don't want to do the thing that my kids are asking me to do, because I, I want to do something else, or I need to do something else. It exposes these things in us. Selfishness. and, it, and The outworking of that comes from an internal place. There are going to come times and places, even here in church, where we begin to think about what it means to follow Christ, to pursue a deepening relationship with God. But will we, will we concede to the folly of being selfish? Will we concede to the folly of being bitter? Will we not pursue and receive relationships with one another? Because we have a better plan, or we have a higher priority or prerogative in our lives? Are we unwilling to let good things go to pursue great things? I think here at Liberty, we are going to consistently encourage you to press deep into relationships that will help sharpen you for each of us to reject the self-first idea, the self-first thinking, and to obey the call of being a disciple who makes disciples. Because this is the good news about this whole idea of what God comes and he does is that we don't have to act on these tendencies, this selfishness. For those who are in Christ, we are freed from the power and effects of sin. And so therefore, we can act freely in what God has called us to do. And so in this passage, James continues on and he says that that do not boast and be false in the truth. And, And James James here says that boasting is not, it's not confidence, it's arrogance. If you're, if you're familiar with sports and you've seen highlights and, and, um, and, and replays of, of famous, I think, I think they're famous events, um, you'll see boasting happening and you'll also see boasting go wrong. 
um, I'm reminded of like most, mostly in, in football where let's say there's an interception or if there's a fumble and the guy's running for the end zone and he starts kind of boasting, forgetting that there's like 11 other guys behind him who really want to just kill him right now. Um, and they'll start boasting, you know, Leon Lett, and there's, there's other guys who they'll, they'll take the ball and they'll, they'll kind of put it out. And I've seen it, if you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times, where a guy comes up right before he scores the touchdown and knocks the ball out of his hands. This is what, this is, and, and there's something satisfying about that. If we can be completely honest, you're like, dude, get across the line, then do whatever you want. But it's the preemptive boasting that really, it's, it's, it's almost aggravating. Like, unless it's your team. And then you're like, boast all you want. And guys, they, some of them just drop the ball before they cross the goal line. But anyway, sorry. So, so here's the thing. This is the idea of boasting. It is self-serving. It is, it is celebrating something that shouldn't be celebrated yet. And here we see that the lie in all of that James, James says this, he says, do not boast and be false in the truth. Do not boast in this because you're boasting in the wrong thing. There, there's only one thing that, that, that there's worthy to be boasted in, that is in Christ. And here, th- this warning that James gives us, I think is something for us to, to consider, not only for ourselves, but in what we celebrate as a culture. Do we celebrate boasting that is done in that lifts up the wrong thing, that lifts up anything but Christ. Let us not be false in the truth. Let us not celebrate the things that should not be celebrated. He goes on in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Bitter jealousy and selfish, imp- and selfish ambition will produce earthly wisdom. This earthly wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. And I, I don't think that James is, is pulling any punches here. He uses this terminology for us to understand fully not just the root of all of this, but really the gravity of earthly wisdom. It produces jealousy, selfishness, selfish ambition, boastfulness, lies, disorder, and every vile practice. There's a, there's a Hellenistic Jewish moral believe that every vile practice, every evil, can be traced back to jealousy and selfish ambition. If you think about it, think about motivations. And guys, this is, where, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Everything being traced back to this jealousy and selfish ambition or envy. Or James uses the word disorder here. He's using the same root word that he speaks of when he says double-mindedness in James 1.8 and double-tongued in James 3.8. What we can gather here from these truths that James speaks here is that is this, how does his revelation of these things impact our lives? We've got we've to take this down a notch from, from being just an idea to how does it really impact our daily thoughts and actions. 
by the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we must combat the jealousy and selfish ambition that lives in our hearts and minds. Do we truly have double-mindedness? Do we speak with a forked tongue? Is our yes, yes? Is our no, no? Do we serve, love, and give because Christ himself first served, loved, and gave to us? If the only benefit for us helping someone is the good that someone is is the only benefit of us helping someone the good that they receive not our own feelings afterwards our own selfish motivations if it costs us something maybe even costs us more than we anticipated can we rejoice because all is God's and we are but mere stewards of it And this is how God interjects into our situation, into really common wisdom and earthly wisdom. Because he changes priorities. He changes our motivations. And this is really what happens here. We get to our third point, the redemption of godly wisdom. This is is God's interjection here into our lives. So the redemption of godly wisdom. The reality is that earthly wisdom is common. We see it everywhere. And it can even sound good, right? But godly wisdom, the wisdom that does come from above, is that to be treasured, adored, sought after. That is the wisdom to get that Proverbs 4 says. When Christ saved us in his resurrection power, he gives us a new heart and he renews our minds. Listen to how James describes the wisdom from above. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Godly wisdom produces purity. It produces humility. It produces gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, and peace. Brothers and sisters, listen. Will this be said of us? Will these words describe us? and the wisdom, and the way that we interact with people? Will it be said of our speech? Will it be said of our posts, our retweets, and our likes? Because that is the outflowing of our personas, if you will. Do we think about how our speech and motivations impact and influence the world around us? Are we seeking purity, gentleness, and peace Are we open to reason, being full of mercy and good works? Can we be impartial to those around us, even if we disagree with them? And are we sincere in our motivations? Are we, as James says in 1, 19 through 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and we want to produce the righteousness of God. Of God. Verse 18 says this And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Will the result of the wisdom that we convey be that of a harvest of righteousness? Will we reap righteousness? Will the people around us reap righteousness by the wisdom that is given, that is sown into their lives, that is sown into their hearts? Or will it be a harvest of unrighteousness? 
James's point here being that the direct, there is a direct correlation with peace and the wisdom that God gives. In today's culture and climate, there is not much peace. There's division, there's unrest, there's dis- divisiveness and disorder. And this comes because godly wisdom is missing. There must be with our speech peace. Are we peacemakers? Have we sown peace? Jesus is the prince of peace. And if he walks with us, if he, if he flavors and seasons our words and our hearts and our motivations, that peace, I believe, will come. See, worldliness loves drama. It loves tension. It loves chaos. That's why there's so many reality shows on. And they're so popular. And I just don't understand it sometimes. Because all it is is people yelling at each other. Peace doesn't sell, I guess. Will we love peace? Or will we be drawn to chaos? This does not mean that we won't address evils. Sometimes in order to be peacemakers, we must interject ourselves into a situation that is not comfortable, that is messy, that is hard for the sake of peace. This last month, we've been talking about mercy and justice issues around our community. And there's not peace there. It's messy. It's ugly. It's complicated. And you guys... You, you've seen these things. It's, it's at your workplace. It's in your schools. There's a, there's a mess all around us. And if we were just to draw back and go, well, I'm just going gonna to be peaceable because I'm just going to sit and live in peace, we're not doing what Christ has already done. He interjects himself into the mess for the sake of peace. We must interject ourselves into the mess and there may not be peace around us but we walk with peace because we have the presence of the living God inside of us. Our footsteps need to be footsteps that that when we walk into a room there is a calm that walks with us. Our footsteps leave peace. We interject ourselves into the mess because the the God and creator of the universe interjected himself into our mess. And we want to give godly wisdom for the sake of there being peace. Let us not run from those things, but run to those things. Let's conclude by saying this. Let us be vigilant and what we allow to come from our tongues and into our hearts. And remind us as we enter into this Lenten season that as we come from dust, dust we will return. That we long for there to be a final peace that will come with our beloved Savior's second advent. So let us live in light of the good news of Jesus, the light of the world, the truth, speaking the truth in love, Pursuing wisdom. But let the wisdom that we pursue be God's wisdom. Not that the, what, what the world would call wisdom. And let us look at everything through the lens of Scripture. James's point here being that those who have godly wisdom will not use it like a sword, but will use it like a scalpel. Not lopping people off, but dissecting 
and, and bearing down for, for there to be healing and peace. Let us therefore weigh out the fruit that is being produced by the wise and popular and powerful and philosophers of our day and let us, as the people from whom God's spirit indwells, discern what is godly wisdom, what is worth repeating, retweeting, reposting, and what the deceptive wisdom that is from the world that only comes like a wolf among like a wolf among sheep to destroy, let us see that, not repeat that, not encourage that, not promote it, not boast in those things. As our nation becomes more and more divided, let the truthfulness of God and the loving kindness of God be as what it says in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. And have a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace for those who make peace. Let that be true of us. Let that be true of of us and our interactions and our words. When the people of God interject themselves into the chaos of the world, let us be the ones who bring peace. And the only peace comes from God. So let's pray. Great and holy God, the giver of wisdom, the source of all that is good, grant us your wisdom, not earthly wisdom. Wisdom that you have given us from your word and place it in our hearts. Let us be obedient to the call and the conviction of your spirit and in our lives. Father, may our lives not reflect the chaos of the world, but the peace that you bring. Lord, let us not take for granted the good gifts that you give us, the community of faith here at Liberty, and the opportunity to serve our city and be the bringers of peace and hope and godly wisdom. Convict us now as we celebrate your sacrifice. And it is your good and holy name we pray. Amen.